0: Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our special guest speaker. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. Good morning, guten Morgen, buenos dias a todos, how are you? It's uh, our final day in the study of John's Gospel, the life of Jesus in John's Gospel. And um, there's... um, 18 through 21. some the arrest until the resurrection. There's 129 verses. I hope your chairs are comfortable today. We're not going to read them all. We're going to dance through them and, and find the beautiful things in there. Um, so yeah, as, as, as um, Mary said, it's my uh, kind of second to last day as the summer interim pastor guy. And I really much I really enjoyed that a lot. I loved it. I loved it. Um, i loved going to the hospital, I've loved um, talking to people, i loved loved, it's just been so fun, so I think I should probably do this as my career. Um, You're supposed to do what you love, right? Do what you love. Um, And it's it's my last time to to teach, so I want to, as Molly did before she left, I want to give you some parting words to encourage you, uh, to bless you, and really spur you on toward love and good deeds in Jesus' name. And so I wanted to start with a little story um, about uh, love and humility, and, I, and an example that was set for me that I hope to follow. So, I, about every, every other year, Becky or I take one of our children, and sometimes multiple, out to South Dakota. And what we do is we do kind of two things. First of all, the, the child that we take is usually around 12, 13 years old. We have a lot, so there's a lot of trips and the idea is that they would transition them from being a a child or a boy or a girl into a young man or a young woman. And so we give them little gifts along the way, we give them kind of have little ceremonies. We we'd really so that when they come back they are a young man. They have no more bedtime, they get to order off the adult menu at the restaurant, a couple privileges. But the point is They really are transitioned from, you know, a child into a young adult. And then we do a similar thing when they hit 18, 19. So I was there and we were doing some light construction. So what we do is part of being a young man part is really learning to work and learning to bless the body and learning to bless those in need and reach out to the lost. And so we were in South Dakota and, you know, we're working on what's called the res, the reservation of the Lakota people. And I got to meet this incredible couple and their names were Chug, and Karen Chato, and they are really, they are true, like a Lakota people. They are uh, people that um, she actually can trace her heritage to Sitting Bull and Crazy Horse, both of them. I mean, she is like a famous Lakota uh, native person, but both of them have really, um, really, Renounced their spiritual practices in the past. They've renounced kind of spiritual objects and they are wholeheartedly focused on serving Jesus, which is so exciting. I mean, they have been really serving the Lord for, you know, about 30 years, you know, leading people, doing missionary work, you know, laying their lives down for the Lord and in love to people. And so they came, they would come and, and many of you know, if you go on a mission trip and even with the mission trips we've been on, The food is part of the suffering missionary experience, right? It's part of the process. You kind of learn, you kinda get out of your comfort zone and eat things that you maybe normally wouldn't eat. But not this trip. Because Chug and Karen made the food for all of us, like thirty different people. They would come in the morning and these delicious eggs, and then the afternoon in the evening they would come and make these delicious meals. And so we were well fed. We were well fed. They served us. And then the last night, this is like the final night we get to say goodbye to them. They said, all right, we're going to give a teaching. So they got up and gave a teaching. Turns out they're really good at preaching. They're really good at the, you know, teaching from the Bible. And they're also educators. These are also, they actually work in the school system. They're certified educators as well. So they gave a teaching and then it got really personal. And they said, so what we're going to do now is we are going to, um, we're going to call up somebody who we believe is going to go back and um, minister to the Lord, and we're going to we're going to um, we're going to wash his feet. And I thought that was pretty cool. I was like, "Oh, that sounds good." And then they said, "Ryan, come on up." And I looked around for other Ryans, and there was just one. And so I, you know, in fear and trembling. You know, walked up there and I sat down on the stage and they washed my feet and I just bawled my eyes out. They prayed for me and then they left and I was changed forever by them. Because just like Jesus, they demonstrated leadership and love. They humbled themselves down and they took the form of a slave and they washed my feet. It was beautiful. So my prayer is that their prayer for me is a grind. Go and do the same. And my prayer is the same for you, that you would do that. Because Jesus said, in John fifteen thirteen, greater love has no one in this than he that lays his life down for his friends. So today we're going to read and, and look in the Gospel of John, from the arrest to the resurrection, how Jesus actually laid down his life for us, his friends, his beloved, and how he demonstrated the greatest love possible. So last week, wonderful Wayne shared about Jesus's prayer in the garden of Gethsemane. He's praying for uh, unity in the body. He's saying, "Lord, your will be done. I would not prefer to suffer like this, but I'm going to follow you anyway because your will be done." So they're in the garden, but now it's coming to the end. John 18:3. So Judas Judas came into the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers, some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. And then they asked, Are you Jesus of Nazareth? And he said, I am he. And when he said that, they literally drew back and fell down to the ground. Because there is power when Jesus speaks and there is power in his own identity so much that they couldn't stand. And then Jesus compassionately asks for something. He says in John eighteen eight, okay, I told you that I am he, so if you seek me, let these men go. I mean, even as he's about to be arrested, he's thinking about others. And so the chief priests weren't after his disciples. They wanted the big boss. They wanted him. But Peter wasn't about to be let go, was he? He grabs a sword and he cuts off one of the people's ear, one of the high priest servant's ears. He cuts it off. But Jesus is like, this is not happening. Jesus, hang on. Peter, John 18, 11b, put your sword in its sheath Shall I not drink from the cup the Father has given me? And then in an act of otherworldly compassion, he picks up the ear. He puts it to the priest's servant and he heals him. This is someone that's coming to arrest him, torture him and kill him. And he heals his ear. Then the disciples scatter. Except Peter. Peter. Peter kind of goes away, but he starts to follow the detachment who's Judas and the the priests and the soldiers with. Peter is, is kind of following from a distance. And he returns to the city. But when he gets there, Jesus is being held. And people start to question Peter about his allegiance to Jesus. And in fear of those consequences, he denies Jesus three times. Now, Jesus is questioned by the high priest, Caiaphas, and then by Pilate but he doesn't resist. He does not fight in his answers. He, 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 he's attacked, but his answers are otherworldly. Watch this. So this is one of the questions that's asked of him. Don't you realize that I have the power to free you or crucify you? Jesus responds, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. What is it have you, that you have done, he's asked. His answer, my kingdom is not of this world. And then he's asked, so you are a king then. His answer, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. So I want you to realize Jesus is not reacting to questions. He is in spiritual wisdom, speaking truth that is profound. But then Pilate asks the question, not of Jesus, but he just asks it. He says these words, what is truth? Anybody else asking that question these days? What is truth? Relativism do as thou wilt, do as you feel like. There is no truth, so have at it. The world is asking this question How can anyone know anything? In Romans 10 14, it says, How then can they call on the one they have believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? We are called to preach the Word of God, the Bible. That's how we know what's true. The God of the Bible is the one we worship today. And Jesus is the God of the Bible, his only son. Pilate didn't realize it, but the truth was standing right in front of him. He said, what is truth? He should have asked, who is truth? For Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So at this point, Pilate is there, and he decides, he kind of gets a sense of something bigger's going on here. His wife had a dream about this, and he actually decides, I do not want to crucify this guy. I'm, I, there's, there's something about this guy. I, this, is, this would be wrong to do this. But he's now he's trapped by the Jewish leaders. They actually say to him, if you let this man go, anyone who you're no friend of Caesar, anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. So Pilate is is in a corner now and he acts and he relents and he orders Jesus to be crucified. I'm talking about crucifixion for a second. So I did some research about crucifixion. This is what Dan Bradbury says about it. He says, The basic premise was to keep the individual alive as long as possible to allow them to suffer multiple forms of pain before expiring. The standard mechanisms were to fix the individuals by the cross by their appendages, nail them with wood, and strap hands and feet down to the wood with ropes. This was to prevent the individual from ripping away from the cross or escaping or passing into death too quickly. Fixing the individual to the cross caused him or her to struggle for air, forcing them to force their body upward with their feet to breathe, which caused intense pain to the feet. This person would eventually wear out from exhaustion and could suffocate. So Jesus is on the cross suffering. And yet even in his suffering, even in his terrible pain, he looks down and he says to his mother, here's your son. And he looks to his disciple, here's your mother. He's bringing people together, even while he's suffering on the cross. And after several hours of suffering, because he had been flogged, which is essentially whipped with an iron-tipped whip, he makes a statement in verse 30. He says, it is finished. And then Jesus of Nazareth dies. The statement, it has finished. It's really the work is done. I'm I'm done. And not only am I done, but so are you. There is no more work to be done. There is no more earning required. There is no more salvation to be won. It is won. Because it is finished. But now, we because we have, don't have to earn our salvation, now we can actually love God for real. We can love him with our lives because we're not trying to earn our salvation because Jesus did that. The gospel frees us up to love because it is finished. So they put him in the tomb of a rich man to fulfill prophecy. And three days later, the father has enough and he raises him from the dead. I want to talk about resurrection from the dead for a minute. In the beginning, Jesus is in heaven, Father, Son, and Spirit. They are, they are one, but they are three in one in heaven. And Jesus leaves the Father and Spirit to become, in terms of the glory, he doesn't leave them in relationship. He leaves, them, leaves their glory, and he comes to earth. And he takes on flesh and becomes a body His soul and his spirit are with him. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He has a body now. And this is just like us. I have a body, clearly. You can see it. I have a spirit because I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. And my soul is at the core of who I am that will persist. So, just like the Father and Son and Spirit, we are actually three in one here. It says, then Jesus died. He died. His body was separated from his soul and spirit. His soul and spirit had work to do. They went down into hell to set the captives free. He, He went down to hell to set the captives free while his body lay dead. Accomplished that work. And when the father resurrected him from the dead, what he really did, he really just rejoined his spirit and soul to his body. Did you know that your body will be resurrected from the dead when you, after you die? Again, unless, unless Jesus returns first, and then we don't have to go through death, which would be the best. But after we die, our bodies are still important to God. They still matter. And so he is going to miraculously reunite our soul and spirit with our bodies, but not the same body. The same body, but he is going to give us an imperishable body, an everlasting body. Here's what it says in Corinthians 15.3. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. How does this work? Well, let's watch this in John 20. You get a little sense of what Jesus' immortal body can do. John twenty nineteen. on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, this is after he died, resurrected. The doors being locked, the doors are locked, where the disciples were there for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them. And he said to them, peace be with you. He appeared. Walls did not stop his immortal body. Neither did locks. I just want to give you hope that there is a day coming when you will have an immortal body. Not only that, I, one thing I wanted to say that my, one of my favorite parts is when, with this immortal body, Jesus eats. He eats bread and fish. So the eating and the feasting will continue after after we are resurrected. Yet even after all this, even after all this, the disciples return to their fishermen lives. But then Jesus appears to them and he performs his last miracle in, this, in, this, in the book of John. And he reinstates Peter, after his three denials, he reinstates him as the head of his church. That's what he says in John 21, 17. Simon, do you love me? Now this is the third time he said it. And Peter was hurt because this was the third time he asked him, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And then Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you're old, you stretch out your hands and someone will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And then Jesus said to him, follow me. This is what he is saying to us today. Follow me. So later, after this, he ascends into heaven before his disciples. They see him go, and later the Holy Spirit is poured out at Pentecost, and these disciples, these raggedy bunch of fishermen and tax collectors, they change the world. They change the whole world. And they watched his example and they changed the world. Did you know, I did some research. There are 2.4 billion people that claim to be Christian in the world. There were 12. Now there are 2.4 billion and growing. It's the biggest faith movement that's ever happened. It's possible. what can we take from all this? So we've read through the arrest. We know the arrest. We know how Jesus acted. We we know how he died. We know what he said. We know how he acted when he was suffering. We know that he, what he did, he descended into hell and was resurrected and came back and charged his disciples. So what can we take from this story for us? First of all, for me, Jesus did not react to accusations and, and questions. He didn't react and, and wasn't thrown off. He spoke with spiritual wisdom. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and able to respond to accusations and, and tough questions with truth. Will I do the same? Will you do the same? Next, that Jesus wasn't forced. He willingly laid down his life. He could have spoke to those soldiers and just killed them all. He, didn't, he, he allowed this to happen. He willingly laid down his life. Am I willing to do this? And lastly, Jesus was compassion, compassionate while he was being arrested. He was compassionate while he was suffering. And he was even gentle after he was resurrected. Peace be with you, he said. He didn't say, what are you doing in here? He said, peace be with you. Jesus is compassionate throughout the most difficult days of his life. Will I be? Will you be? So, help, to help me answer this question, I want to tell you about a tightrope walker. I know it follows. A tightrope walker. Tightrope walker's name is Charles Blondin. And this guy could get on a rope and he could walk a long, long time. And one time he was able to actually walk across. The Niagara Falls. Anybody been to Niagara Falls? It's awesome. It's terrifying, but it's awesome. You can see Canada. There's, there's the American Falls on your right and there's the Horseshoe Falls on your left. And it is an incredible scape, landscape. And, and Charles had them string a line across to Canada and he walked from one side to the other and he gets on the other side and he says to everybody, do you believe I can do that? We believe, we believe. Everybody shouted, we believe you can do this. He said, do you believe I can go back across? We believe, oh yeah, we believe. Do you believe that I can take somebody on my shoulders and walk across? Okay, we believe, we believe. Who's going to get on my back? is going to actually believe? Harry Con- Colcord stepped forward. I believe, he said. And he got on his back and he allowed Charles to take him across the tightrope on his back. So you should know, Harry was not a, um, a random citizen. He was Charles's manager. But he had seen Charles do amazing things. He had seen him walk back and forth many times, and so he trusted Charles with his life. So he got on his back and he actually believed. Jesus said in J- John 6:29, "This is the work of God that you believe in the one whom He sent." It's more than just thinking, I believe. It's more than just saying, I believe. It's manifesting that belief in obedience. That's the proof that we actually believe. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in what he did on the cross for you? Do you believe that he is the Son of God? Would you get on his shoulders? Would you let him carry you across the divide? Would you put your life in his hands? Have you seen enough of what he can do? Have you come to trust in him the way the manager trusted Charles? Are you willing to follow his example and lay down your life for your friends? I want to close with one final story about some Chinese pastors, and they asked the question, so you know we read today, they asked these pastors, what was the greatest thing that Jesus ever did? What was the most amazing thing he ever did? Was it the feeding of the five thousand We read about that this summer? Was it the healing of the woman who was bleeding for twelve years? Was it the, the raising of the dead of, of Jairus 's daughter? Was it the healing of the man born blind? Was it speaking to the storm, quieting the storm, walking on water? Or was it his own resurrection? And the Chinese pastors thought this through. And they kind of they came back and they talked amongst themselves. And this is, these are underground pastors living in a, a communist um, society that doesn't promote this. They came back and they said, okay, we've got it. Ready? This is in John thirteen three. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, <laughs> he took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin. And he began to wash his disciples' feet, He drying them with the towel that was wrapped around them. He came to Simon Peter. Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus said, you don't realize what I am doing now, but later you will understand. See, the Chinese pastors thought this was Jesus' greatest act because to them it's the greatest act of humility. He took the form of a slave he got on his hands and knees. This is what they would have the slaves do. They would have the slaves come and they would have a guest come in and go, slave, go wash their feet. And the slave would go wash the people's feet as an act of welcoming in their house. Jesus was not only acting humbly, but he was training his disciples for service. He was showing them how to lead and how to train others. Just like Chug and Karen did for me just like Adrian talked about today. Just like we're going to do this morning. So Roy and uh, Julie, would you come forward, please? <laughs> and The reason we chose, um, Becky and I chose Roy and Julie is, you, m- you may not know this, but they are out there every week serving people. They are out there with Joy Drop. They're out there with hospitality. They're out there with the tech team. They are humbly serving in the background. That's why you didn't see them up here because they're serving down there and they're serving back there and they're serving on Wednesday. And so um, I'll invite Sarah up to, um, to do some song, but we do this, but um, we want to... Honor them today. I'll do. I'll do. will do. Uh, Roy's feet. Um, we want to honor them today. I, one of the reasons. other reasons I, I chose Roy because he always wears sandals. <laughs> and so, would you just um, would you just kind of ponder during this time, you know, the things really the things that Jesus did, uh, how he gave up his life, and specifically how he humbled himself. To serve because it's our desire that you do this too. Let's pray together. Thank you. Thank you for the T Rex family, God. Thank you for their service. Thank you for um, how they have humbly served before you, Lord, just like you did. They've, they've washed our feet, they've washed the children of Rangroves feet, they've washed the people there. Pray you'd bless them, Lord, and their greatest desire, Lord, is to know you and to see their daughters know you even greater than they do, Lord. So that's our prayer, Lord. If there's one thing you would do, Lord, would you draw their daughters to know you in even greater ways that they do, Lord? This is what this is our ask Lord these girls right now in jesus name so we're going to take some time to reflect on what was covered today you know what what about the final part touched you today was it the call to believe in jesus really believe was it the call to lay down your life for your friends Was it a call to humble yourself and serve others? Did that touch you? How is God speaking to you today? How does he want you to respond to him? Let's take some time. Sarah's going to sing a chorus. We're going to allow the Holy Spirit to move in our hearts and be open to his voice this morning. Lord, we worship you. We praise you. We thank you, God, for what you did on the cross, what you did while you were on the cross, what you did when you were arrested, and what you did and what you continue to do in your resurrected body. Lord, help us to be, have the courage to believe and get on your back. Have you take us across the divide, Lord. Help us to have the courage to say, I believe, choose me. Send me, Lord. Lord, help us to have the humility to get down on our hands and knees and love others the way you did. To lay down our lives for our friends. By your spirit, we can do this, Lord. So we thank you, God, for what you will do in us and through us. In Jesus' name.